If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in a few different places, but here's where I want you to go with me. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And then what we're going to do is I'll have you turn a few other places in just a moment. But let me give you the big idea of what we've been doing for the month. All right, so if we had to give this series a big idea, this is it. It's going to be on the screen. It says... If we want to produce healthy fruit in our lives in 2021, right, we must produce healthy roots. Because spiritual maturity is spiritual roots producing spiritual fruits. We've been talking about gospel maturity and what it looks like for us to grow up in Christ, okay? So spiritual roots producing spiritual fruit in our lives is what gospel or spiritual maturity looks like. Hear me. Hoping for a better story in 2021 won't bring you a better story. Habits that grow our faith will bring us a better story. Good intentions won't define who you become. Spiritual disciplines will. Desires don't determine what you do. Spiritual disciplines do. If we want a better year, here's what we've been saying. If we want a better year in 2021... We need a bigger faith. And if we want a bigger faith, we must practice consistently spiritual disciplines. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. We must put in the time. We must put in the work. We must study to show ourselves approved unto God. And so last week, the last couple weeks, we've been talking about the importance of the Holy Scriptures God's gift to us so that we can know him, right? We have his word so we can grow in knowledge of who he is and what he has done. And we also have his word so that we can grow in obedience of who we are in Christ and what we are to do as we follow the example of our Lord. Today, we're going to talk about another gift. And so the last couple weeks, we've been talking about react, how to study the Bible, the, the four questions like who is God, what has God done, who am I, what am I to do. Today we're going to look at another gift that God has given us as a tool to help us grow spiritually. We're going to talk about prayer. And not only are we going to talk about prayer, we're going to practice prayer together this morning. You've come to a prayer meeting, church. Remember those? I remember those. The churches used to have services called prayer meetings. Now some of them still do, but they've turned into Bible studies, right? Today you have come to a prayer meeting hear this statement I think it's going to be on the screen there is nothing more essential to the power of the church than the prayers of the church let me say it again there is nothing more essential right that's a trendy word 2020 essential there is nothing more essential to the power of the church than the prayers of the church listen journey we can be weak on a lot of things. We don't want to be weak. We want to, we want to strive to do, be excellent in all that we do for the Lord. But we can be weak in a lot of things that we do as a church. But we cannot afford to be weak with prayer. And here's the thing about prayer. You don't have to have a talent to pray. Well, I can't carry a tune. It doesn't matter. If you can talk, well, I can't talk. It doesn't matter. I shouldn't even say that. You can still pray. Because you don't have to pray out loud. Prayer is the gift that God's given us that all of us can really excel in. It's essential 
to the power of the church. I want to share with you real quick, and then, I, again, we're just going to have a prayer meeting, and we're going to sing as we go through this thing. But I want to share with you three of my favorite texts uh, on prayer. And then we're going to land in Matthew 6, where Jesus himself teaches us how to pray as his dear children. The first one comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It's just one verse, but I love this because in this one verse, Paul packs such a powerful process. It's really a four-step process. This is a verse that you should memorize. It's just a verse... Um, well, I think I'm going to say it in a moment. This is that one verse that if somebody ever says, can you teach me how to pray, and you only got two minutes to teach them how to pray, this would be the verse that I would go to, all right? So here's what he says. Paul says, number one, don't worry about anything. Number two, instead, pray about everything. Now, here's what happens. We get in trouble, church, because sometimes we get those two backwards, don't we? We worry about everything, and we don't pray about anything. And when that happens, we become a paralyzed, powerless church that just complains and gripes. Don't worry about anything. Number two, instead, pray about everything. Well, how are we to pray? Well, step three, just tell God what you need. And step four, thank God for what he's done. And that'll preach. That's a whole sermon. You can napkin theology as you're sitting in huddle house with somebody like, I just don't know how to pray. Waiter, I need a napkin, right? Number one, don't worry about anything. Number two, pray about everything. Well, how do I pray? Oh, easy. Number three, just tell God what you need. Well, I don't know all the words. You don't need the words. You're gonna, Jesus is going to teach you that in a minute. You just, what do you need? What do you need? Tell God. Don't tell Facebook. Tell God. Right? And then thank God for what he's done. Awesome. So much wisdom packed in just that one verse. So again, if you only have two minutes to teach them how to pray, Philippians 4, 6 is where to go. My next passage comes from Acts. And I, I, you've already read this. It came from our Acts study. But I just, I think we should read it together. In Acts chapter 4, um, I'll hurry, I'll hurry because we got some stuff to get through this morning. But in verse 23, remember Peter and John, they were preaching in the temple. And the, 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 the official, the government didn't like that. It wasn't really the Roman government. It was the Jewish leaders. They didn't like that Peter and John was preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified, right? So they arrested him and they threw them in prison. And they brought him out the next day, stood him before the council. They said, don't do that again. And Peter and John like, all right, this is time for us to preach. And so they preached Jesus crucified to the council. And the council goes, we don't know what to do. So we threatened them, right? They threatened them. They said, hey, listen, don't ever mention the name of Jesus again or else. And I love it because in verse 23 it says, as soon as they were freed. So they threatened them and they released them. And as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and they told them what all the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all of the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. I love that. The first thing they did when they were threatened by the government wasn't go out and buy all the ammo go out and stock up on guns and canned goods. They had a prayer meeting. And they prayed, oh, sovereign Lord. And you can read the rest of that prayer, but I want to pick it up in verse 20, 29. In the, in the midst of their prayer, they say, and now, oh Lord, hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. So I love this because they're not praying for safety. They're praying for boldness to keep doing what they've been threatened not to do. 
Don't ever mention the name of Jesus again. Oh, sovereign Lord, give us boldness to preach Jesus louder and farther. I love it. I want that kind of boldness. Is our first reaction when life turns us sideways? Is our first reaction to pray or post? We go straight for the meme, right? No, let's call a prayer meeting. Let's get on our knees before the O sovereign Lord and pray for His will to be done. Hmm. Now, the third passage, I almost didn't, I don't really want to share, but I'm going to because it's too awesome of a story not to share. It comes out of Acts 2. The reason why I don't want to share it is because it's going to be part of our Acts study here when we get back in Acts in, in the month of March. But it's found in Acts chapter 12. <coughs> and I just, I, I got to, we got to read the story. It's, it's a few verses, but just hang with me. This is a great story. In, in chapter 12, starting in verse uh, one, here's what's going on. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, this was John's brother, he had him killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much it pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. That's awesome, right? If, if I got that kind of reaction from James, if I go after Peter, the one, the leader, right? So he arrested Peter and he took it, this took place during the Passover celebration. Uh, then he imprisoned him placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, don't miss this, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So I want us to get this in our minds that Peter is being guarded by 16 soldiers. He's the prize catch for the king. There's no way he's escaping. And at the same time, across town in this small little living room is the church. And they're praying. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. There's a whole sermon right there. It's possible to sleep in prison when you have the peace of God. They found him asleep. He's fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, we'll have a lot more fun with this when we get back to the study. Can you just imagine the angel kicking Peter? Whack! Get up! Quick! Get up! And the chains fell off his wrist. And then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel but all the time he thought well this is just a vision he didn't realize it was actually happening he thought he was dreaming they passed the first and the second guard post and they came to the iron gate leading to the city and this and this opened for them all by itself i think there was another story like that in acts already right remember when they escaped from prison so they passed through the so they passed through and they started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. This isn't a dream. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So he goes, to, he goes across town to where this little prayer meeting of the church earnestly praying 
Peter shows up and he begins knocking at the door of the gate. And a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she forgot to open the door and let Peter in. She goes running back into the prayer meeting to say, hey, sorry to interrupt your prayer meeting, but Peter is outside. And of course, everybody's like, okay, leave us alone. We're praying that God will release Peter from prison. I mean, they're actually saying things like, um, you're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided, it must be an angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. Uh, hello? Somebody forgot to let me in, right? Peter continues knocking. And when they finally opened the door and they saw him, they were amazed. I love the fact that the church prayed and that God heard and that God answered. I love that the church is so busy pleading to God on Peter's behalf that they won't take time to answer the gate where Peter is waiting to come in. But I love these stories because they prayed in Acts 4. And remember at the end of that story, it says the building shook. They prayed here, and at the end of this prayer, there's a knocking on the door. And when they see Peter, they are amazed. And I want us, church, to experience those kind of prayers. Wouldn't it be so awesome to just have one prayer meeting where the building shook? And we're like, okay, our first reaction is probably not it's God. It's an earthquake, and we're going to take cover. How cool would it be when we go to lunch, and we're like, oh, my goodness, did you feel that? Oh. Wouldn't it be cool if we prayed such bold prayers that when the answer came knocking at the door, our only response is, God, you are so amazing. I want us to pray prayers like that. Now, Jesus actually is going to teach us how to pray in Matthew 6. And who else would we want teaching us how to pray other than Jesus who, again, gave us such a good example what a prayer life should look like. And Jesus doesn't start here by telling us how to pray. He starts by telling us how not to pray. Okay, can we just start there in the text? And I promise we're going to sing in a moment. Just hang in there with me. In, in Matthew chapter 6, let's just pick it up in verse 5. Jesus says, if you pray, no, because he's talking to his disciples. He doesn't need to say if. He's just assuming, no, no, no. Because in Luke's gospel, the record shows that they actually came to Jesus and said, would you teach us to pray like you pray? So Jesus says, all right, when you pray, when you pray, here's what he says. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. Here's what Jesus is saying. Our prayers are not a performance to be performed in public so that we can be admired. If admiration is your reward, if that's what you're after, Jesus says, that's all you're going to get. If what you want is people to be impressed with your praying, then congratulations, they'll be impressed, but God's not going to answer anything because that's it. That's your reward. pray trying to perform he goes on in verse 6 to say this but 
when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Some translations say will reward you publicly. I love that. Again, he says when. What you pray for in private, God will reward publicly. And I, we see this example. And this isn't Jesus saying, well, don't pray in public, right? It's just that you know those people who never pray in private. And so when they pray publicly, they've got to pray for all the time they've missed. And that's not the example. Jesus gave us the example when the crowds would crowd around Jesus, when the thousands of people would come to hear him, when you think that's the, that's the time I get to be a rock star. What did Jesus do? He always, he always went away. He always isolated himself to be alone with his heavenly father. And he prayed. We have one account at the end of his ministry when he prayed with great drops. I believe Jesus prayed intense prayers to his heavenly father in private. But he prayed in public too. But you don't have to pray as long in public. Remember the time Jesus was on the boat with his disciples and they all thought he was going to die? And he prayed such a power. Jesus got up and said, storm, stop. And the storm ceased. And the disciples were amazed. Don't you wish you could pray prayers like that? Or how about the time that his friend Lazarus was dead for four days? Jesus didn't have to go on some performance spill. I know I'm going to raise Lazarus, but let me make the show out of this. Oh, Lord, he's going on the chant. He just goes, Lazarus, stop being dead. And he comes out of the tomb. That's my translation, but that's pretty much what Jesus prayed intense, deep prayers in private with the Heavenly Father, and then in public, he just comes to the point. And in fact, that's what he goes on to teach here. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. When you pray, don't babble on and on. <laughs> As people of other religions do, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again and again and again and again. He says, don't be like them. Why? Because your Father already knows just get to the point. I wrote here, the length of our prayers do not impress God. Well, I prayed for an hour today. Great. Let's hope there was some substance in there. Let's, let's hope that you didn't just memorize a prayer that somebody else prayed or you learned some fancy phrases and you just repeated them over, babble on and on and on as Jesus says here. He knows. Jesus, the Father already knows. Just get to the point. Lazarus, wake up. That's to the point. Lord, bless this fish and bread. That gets to the point. Storm, cease. To the point. Our prayer structures, our, our prayers that sound like poetry, they don't impress God. God already knows what you need. It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, just tell God what you need and thank God for what he's done. And then we get to verse 9. And Jesus starts by saying the first three words, pray like this. And anytime Jesus says, here's how you pray, church, I think we should lean in, right? Jesus, the one who spoke and storm ceased, spoke and death ceased, spoke 
and lives were changed. He says, here's how I want you to pray. And then he gives us what I think has been wrongly titled the Lord's Prayer because it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's a template for the disciples to pray. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. This is the disciples' prayer. And here's what he says. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil. And then a few translations to add. Uh, for yours is the kingdom, right? The power. Something else. Amen. Glory. Kingdom, power, and glory. Amen. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to walk through a prayer together. It's another one of those tools that we've given our people as an acronym. Like, if you just don't know how to pray, okay, this isn't Jesus just taught us how to pray. Now, Rex is going to teach us another way to pray. No, this comes from the Lord's, or the disciples' prayer that Jesus teaches as a template here in Matthew chapter 6. But in, on your worksheet, you're going to see the letter P, and it's praise. It's praise. Jesus says, here's how I want you to pray. And he says this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. I love that Jesus starts by getting our eyes on Jesus or on the Father. Aren't you thankful for that? He says, no, 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 get your eyes off the problem. Get your eyes off your circumstances, your situations. Get your eyes off of down here. Let's get our eyes on the Father. We don't start with our problems of the day. We start rather with our praises to the Father for this morning. If we're in a place that we're finding it very hard to look up, God, if there's nothing else that we can muster this morning, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that even in the moments we don't feel like praising you hold us. When we don't feel like singing, you hold us. You give us the promise that joy comes in the morning. So God, may you make us men and women of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit, you can sit down, you can stand up, whatever you want to do. We're going to just keep singing through this morning, but I'm going to preach some in between. So if you don't want to be up and down. It might be great exercise for you this morning, or it might just be you're just going to hang out. We want you to make this a prayer meeting for you, okay? The R of the prayer acronym is repentance, or I like to use the word realignment, all right? Uh, this is realigning our hearts to God's heart. In verse 10 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, hey, as you're praying, pray like this. May your kingdom come, Father. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches us that our prayers should be kingdom, God's kingdom, and should be God's will focused. Not our kingdom and our will focused. God, may your will be done in me. God, may your will be done through me as it is in heaven. And here's the promise we have from 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful 
and just to forgive. What's our sins? Anytime that we find our hearts don't align with God's heart, when our will doesn't align up with God's will, we confess that. And he is faithful and just to forgive that and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We acknowledge, listen, we acknowledge that we are prone to be the prodigal that kicks against the rules and the will of the Father. We acknowledge that. We're prone to rebel. But then we run to the Father. And we bask in His grace and His mercy and His love towards us. Let's continue to sing. Just in the quietness of this moment, would you pray and ask the Spirit to show you re- need to realign your hearts to God's heart? Or maybe you have been rebelling against his word or his will. Again, like I said, we're all prone to do that. We don't need to pretend with any kind of pride today that we never rebel or we never have the temptation to run from him. And in this moment, would you just, God, help me realign my heart. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. The A in the prayer is ask. All right, we've gotten our eyes on the Father. We've praised the Father for who He is. We've focused on the real problem of us trying to rebel against God, and so the Spirit has realigned us to to God's heart and God's will. And now we're ready to ask. Jesus literally taught us in this model prayer in verse 11, Give us today the food we need. So the question is, what do you need today? What do you need? Ask God. Ask God. That is what Jesus is literally saying here. In another place, Jesus teaching on this subject of prayer and asking in Matthew, just one chapter over, in chapter 7, Starting in verse 7, he says this. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Next verse. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And then I love how he, I love his language here in the next three verses. Parents. He gives a word picture, right? If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Of course you don't. Why? Because you love your kids. And here's what he says. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to got to ask. We've got to ask. I would say perhaps one of the greatest failures of the church is we have unanswered prayers because we have unasked prayers. 
it goes back to the Philippians 4 where we get it backwards. We, we worry about what we don't have or what we don't need instead of praying about what we don't have or what we don't need. No, listen, we ask Jesus knowing that our greatest necessity is Him and that knowing that in Him we receive all good gifts. That's Jesus saying that. Parents, you're not going to give your kids the opposite of what they need. And you're sinful. Your hearts are wicked and you know how to give good gifts. So how much more? Will your Heavenly Father give you? Ask. Ask. Let's sing this together. So what do you need? What do you need? Right now, ask. Do you need, do you need to see salvation in your family? Do you need to see healing? Maybe spiritual healing, maybe physical healing, maybe emotional healing. What is it that you need? Ask. Right now, ask. Boldly ask our sovereign Lord. be so. The why is for yielding. Yield. And you might ask, what are we yielding to? In verse 12 of this prayer that Jesus models, he says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. What does that sound like? Sounds like the gospel rule to me. Sounds like the, uh, the 59 commands of the New Testament of doing for one another as Christ has done for you. We're yielding to the gospel rule. We, we are embracing our gospel identity as family and servants and missionaries. And we are surrendering to do for one another as Christ has done for us. We're yielding ourselves as living sacrifices as Paul teaches us in Romans 12. Paul says, I beseech you, I encourage you, my dear brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what does it look like for us to be living sacrifices? It's a life that has yielded itself on the altar of Christ. When I used to teach this to the teens at my old church, I'd give them this, this and I might have done it here, just this vision of every morning when you're, when you're yielding, go ahead and just yield your body. And if you need to categorize it, go ahead. God, I give you my eyes today. I yield them to you. May they not see anything that you don't want them to see. But God, the things that I need you to let me see through only your eyes. God, would you allow me to see that today? Someone hurting, let me see it. Got my mouth. Oh, God, I, I lay it on the altar of sacrifice today. May I not speak as Rick wants to speak. I speak as you speak through my fingers today and what I post on social media God I give that to you I think you posted that yesterday didn't you how many times you type something out and the Holy Spirit says nope delete it <laughs> yep that happens every day it's free this is free um, sometimes I type stuff 
and then I don't even take time to delete it. I just move on. And I'm hoping there's never a glitch that allows everything you've posted but didn't send to go out because it's going to be a mess. Has anybody else done that and have that fear? God, I give you my hands. May, may they serve today only the way you would. God, I give you my feet. May they only go places that you would have them go. Just give your body up to God as a living sacrifice. My mind, God, today, may my mind not be conformed to the ways of this world, but may it be transformed, may it be renewed in you. May I take on the mind of Christ. May I think as you think. Yeah. So that's how we yield. So let's sing today about waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus as we sing, even so come. God, as we wait, we yield. God, as we wait, we yield. We, we look forward to the day that we are at home with you. No more sin, no more disease, no more corona, no more cancer, no more hate, no more bitterness. But until then, we yield. We're living sacrifices. Amen. The E is for examine. This is examine. Verse 13, Jesus goes on to teach, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, look at this verse. It says, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. In Psalm 119, verse 59, it says this, I pondered the direction of my life, and I turned to follow your loss. This is a time in the prayer that maybe you do your Bible study, where you open the word, and, and we're going to sing it, but we're not going to this morning. It's just a time for us maybe to, to ask God to speak, because we've already known, Paul told Timothy, and we looked at it the last couple weeks, he says, all scripture is God breathe right it's all inspired by God to do what to tell us what's wrong to point us to what's right to give us wisdom to know the difference and so like the song that we have sung around here a lot maybe we just start this time by saying word of God speak pour down like rain washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you are in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. And we open the word of God and we let it examine our hearts. May we not neglect your word, Lord, for it is inspired by you. It teaches us right from wrong. It gives us wisdom to know the difference. And so may we be men and women that are students of the word. May we ponder the direction of our life. May we turn to your law. The R is for rejoice. I just kind of add this one on at the end. I think it's a good place to end our prayer time. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. Where we now stand. And notice, we confidently 
and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Hey, church, we're privileged. I know that was a trigger word in 2020, right? Privileged. Church, we're privileged. And we've been placed in that position through Christ Jesus. None of us deserve his grace. None of us deserve his, deserve his love. Are you kidding me? He's already said we're all, he's already showed us we're wicked, we're prodigals, we're sinners. And yet God has established us in Christ Jesus. Something to be joyful about. In Psalm chapter 5 verse 11 it says this. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them. That all who love your name will be filled with joy. So can we sing one more song? Can we sing a song about the joy of the Lord? All right, let's sing. All right, so here's what I love about this prayer. We start with our focus on God. And we end with our focus on God. Let our focus on him be the bookends of our prayer and then let all the messy stuff be in between. If we grow in knowledge and obedience to God's word and if we learn to consistently tell God what we need and thank God for what he has done, 2021 is going to be a great year. Pastor, you don't know what's coming. We don't have to know what's coming because we know who's reigning And these two spiritual disciplines of God's word and prayer constantly remind us that God rules and that God reigns. Can I end real quick in Ephesians 6? This wasn't part of the sermon until about 1 a.m. this morning. I I went to bed last night listening to sermons on prayer. And there's this one pastor that preached from Ephesians 6. And you know this story well. It's talking about the armor of God, right? Here's what he says. A final, a final word, Paul, to the Ephesian Christians. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world. And then he goes on to say, here's what we need to put on. And he just goes through it. Uh, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the devil. Uh, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, uh, the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on uh, the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, put on salvation as your helmet, and take the, word of the, or take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we're all dressed up. All right, now we need a place to go. Why are we all dressed up? Because we often hear people preach on the armor of God they stop there like it's over but no Paul says there's a reason why you're putting all of this armor on you're all dressed up now what are we to do in verse 18 says pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all of the believers that's why the armor of God God dressed us, and now he wants us to be energized in the way that we do that, the way that we stand firm with the belt of truth and the sandals of peace and all of these other things is we pray persistently for all the believers everywhere. There's a lot of things we can get wrong, all right? We can be weak on 
band. We can be weak on whatever. Ministry, programs. We don't want to be, but we can be. There's one thing we cannot afford to be weak on. It's prayer. It's prayer. Because prayer shakes buildings. Prayer opens gel cells. Prayer makes storms cease. Prayers make death cease. Prayers make cancer vanish. Can't afford to be prayerless. There's nothing more essential to the power of the church than the prayers of the church. Amen? So can I just challenge you? And then we're done. No more songs, no more up and down. Uh, by the way, congratulations, you've prayed for about 30 minutes this morning. That might be a record for some of you. Uh, that, but, but here's the deal. I just want to challenge you this week because this isn't a, a sermon on prayer to shame you because we don't do enough or, or try to pep talk you into going 100 miles an hour this week. I want everybody to pray one hour a day, okay? No. This is, hey, let's just start baby steps. How about, how about if just two or three times this week we pray through this prayer acronym together? And we spend some time focusing on God and praising Him for who He is. God, I praise you because, and just let it flow. And we spend some time realigning, repenting, and then we spend some time asking God for what we need, what our church needs, what our country needs, what my neighbor needs. Then we spend some time yielding, and we let the Word of God examine us, and then we end with rejoicing. Just challenge every one of us if we did that two or three times this week.